0: Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My guest on today's show is Peter Renton. Peter is a world-class expert on the subject of marketplace lending, aka peer-to-peer lending. He's the founder of Lend Academy and the Lend It Conference, and today he's here with us to share some knowledge and insight on the topic of the current state of marketplace lending. Peter Renton, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. Thanks, Joshua. Great to be here. I'm going to talk about peer-to-peer investing. And based upon my research, I guess you're not the, you're not the grandfather or the godfather of the industry, <laughs> but you, you kind of got a place of prominence in this, uh, in this world. Hey, how did you get into this peer-to-peer investing thing? Well, you know, it's 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 it's
1: good to be first, isn't it? Um, but um, yeah, I started. Um, I first discovered peer to peer lending when I I read an article. I think it was in Money Magazine back in two thousand and eight. And I just sold my second company, and was really looking, you know, for uh, other other investment ideas uh, or alternative investment ideas, shall we say? Particularly when I, I you know, I, I um, saw the stock market crashing, and uh, and my all fixed income kind of went down to zero, pretty much. So I was very much in 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 the market for something new, and. You know, discovered this. Um, you know, it was an article about Prosper. Unfortunately, Prosper, by the time I got around to doing something about it, was in a quiet period. They were registering with the SEC, um, so I ended up um, going with Lending Club. And those those two companies are still the two largest companies in the in the space. And I just started off. You know, I started off with five hundred dollars and just wanted to make sure. You know, this was all legitimate, and uh, it was. And then I, I, um, I, I. Added ten thousand and then um, put my wife's or um, my wife's retirement money in there, put a lot of my retirement money in there, and eventually now built it up into the mid six figures. And I, I basically what what I noticed was that this was just this was a, a, a like a well kept secret. It felt like to me that there was a way to earn you know eight to ten percent on your money. Um, you know, it was it was certainly not it didn't have a long track record, but I felt. The more research I did, the more more I was convinced that this was a a really good investment idea. So I started just investing my own money and then – you know what happened was um, I was really I took a couple of years off after selling my my second company and was looking for something new to sink my teeth into. I really wanted to do something online, um, didn't uh, wanted the flexibility to be able to work from anywhere, and you know I actually uh, discovered a, a website for sale. I was tra- I was sort of trolling some of the um, the you know, the website like um, Flipper and those kinds of places to try and look for. You know, good ideas for um, yeah you know, to buy a website, and I discovered this uh, P2P lending website there, and I thought, wow, that's something that I could really sink my teeth into because I love this space, and I love—I've always been a self-directed investor. I love investing, and I felt like there was enough going on in the space that I could really write about it and could maybe make a little bit of money on the, with affiliate income, uh, which was what this site was sort of based around. But anyway, sort of bought that site as a sort of a starting point. Didn't have a grand business plan, but um, felt like, you know, I, I just was very personally passionate about the space and felt like it had a lot of potential. And so I thought I would just ride the wave.
0: So that was Lend Academy that you bought?
1: Yeah, I I re- wasn't it wasn't Lend Academy, it wasn't branded Lend Academy. I rebranded it. Um but initially it was called Social Lending Network, uh, sociallending.net was the original website uh, and uh, I rebranded it to Lend Academy, you know, I, like it was actually it was a year a year or two after I bought it I actually did the rebrand, but as I felt like social lending was becoming sort of it was it was becoming less of of how the industry was becoming known. So I, that's why I, I know. And my mission really is to spread the word and evangelize the industry. So I felt like um, you know teach people how to invest and teach people uh, you know about the risks and about the rewards. And you know, I felt like the Lend Academy was a was a good sort of brand to to drive that forward.
0: And that fast forward. I mean, you you just finished up the Lend it Conference, right? Mm-hmm. Was the biggest, or is it the only, or the biggest uh, conference in the space right now?
1: It, it's the biggest uh, by by a long margin. There's probably eight or ten conferences now in the space, but we we just had three thousand five hundred people in San Francisco last week, and you know, I think there's, there's no other conference that's ever had more than I think six or seven hundred. So we are we are by far the largest in the space, and you know, we you know, the, and LendIt really began um, sort of an out, It was sort of an outgrowth of Lend Academy. I had some of my um, Some of my readers were saying, you know, we really should put on a conference. There's no conference in the space. And um, I thought, well, you know, I don't really know how to put on a conference. And uh, I thought I probably should work out how to do that. And it just so happened, you know, I I really was, it was, you know, January of 2013. And one of my New Year's resolutions that year was to to put on a conference. And then I got contacted, just a total cold call from uh, who are now my lender co-founders. Um, saying hey um you know we've read, been reading Land Academy we would love you to be involved we're going to put on a conference <laughs> so it, uh, <laughs> it, all, it simple it all worked out very very nicely and um you know and you know we we had a few phone calls uh, got together in person and decided this was you know we worked together well we liked each other and uh, and so we put on our first event uh, it was uh, June of 2013 in New York and now we've had uh, we've had four LendIt US, LendIt USA conferences. We've had two in Europe. um, We've had two in China, and so we've uh, we've kind of done. um, You know, the the three largest markets in the world for this industry are the UK, um, China, and the US. So they're the three places where we have kind of set up shop for for LendIt in uh, in those places.
0: Tell me about China.
1: So China is fascinating. It, it, I find the country endlessly fascinating. It is, it is by far the largest market in the world for this industry. Um, in fact, you could put the rest of the world to uh, combined, um, and it wouldn't even come close to what China is um, today. Because the thing about China is that it doesn't have a robust banking system for the middle class. Like if you know, if you're in a you know, if you're in the West and you wanna go buy a car or you wanna go buy a house, if you've got a you know a decent income, you've got decent credit, you can you can go do those things and and you and you, you've been able to do those things for many years. Um in China that's it's it's really not the case. If you want to go um, you know, the, the, the banks in China predominantly uh, Looking, I uh, look after you know the large Fortune 500 type companies, the government-run enterprises, those sorts of things. So there, there was this been this huge void of credit, and credit is something that you know all modern economies um, ha, have really built themselves on. Um, you know, the banking industry is one of the largest industries in in the country, and. Um, you know, China just didn't have a robust banking system. So when peer-to-peer lending began, which was really it began, you know, actually after really uh, really started to get traction after it got traction in the U.S. and U.K., but it, it exploded because there's this massive um, pent-up demand um, in China for for people who want to start a business, you want to buy a car, you want to you want to gain credit of some kind, and so you know now we've got you've got several thousand platforms in china and you've got uh, some of the largest platforms you know are doing billions of dollars every month in uh, in loans so you know it's 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 less regulated than the than the west and the chinese government probably have been a little slow in 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 their regu- in, in implementing regulation they're trying to they're trying to sort of strike this balance they realize that this is actually a great thing for their economy so they don't want to they don't want to just shut it down um, but yeah, you know, they've, you know, it's, it's such that, you know, the, the, the Chinese entrepreneurs have kind of done, um, you know, they've done, uh, a lot of, shall we say, dubious things which wouldn't, simply wouldn't be allowed in the West and, um, and so consequently there's been a few teething problems we've had. There's also been outright fraud um, in, in, in China that we haven't had in the West but it's, uh, it's going to be a large part of um, I think uh, you know, the whole sort of lending industry in China is going to be more based around peer-to-peer than, uh, than what we see in other countries because there's a massive void there.
0: You said there are several thousand platforms operating mm-hmm. in China right now. Mm-hmm. That is remarkable. And I guess I had I I wasn't even considering this. I, I'm I am a neophyte in this space, and I assumed okay it's growing, but I had no idea uh, of what you <laughs> what you just told me about China. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd love. I didn't intend to go here, but I'm just so interested <laughs> as far as the regulation perspective. So. Generally, I'm – so politically speaking, I'm largely libertarian and so I prefer to see minimal interference, minimal bureaucratic regulation in markets and and just a maximum, the actual market itself working it out. Is China – providing that type of space or are the regulators interfering just enough but they're I mean are they interfering in the market working its way out dealing with the fraud figuring out market solutions uh, and and they're just simply doing it less in the United States like what what are you seeing when you look at the at this new market
1: well well first let me just just back up a second and say, in in the West, in the in the in the United States, uh, for example, we have there's been strong banking regulation. Some would say too strong, but there's been a lot of um, consumer protections built into to the banking system, and all of the lending platforms in the U.S. have to adhere to those same fair lending regulations um, that 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 any bank would have to adhere to. So, so in the U.S., we've got a lot of, um, and then on the investor side we've got a, a whole SEC regulations so both sides of the marketplace are regulated you know fairly strongly in uh, in the US, uk and uh, and other Western countries in in China um there's just because there wasn't there hasn't been a a real lending um, industry for for the middle class there just simply was a void a complete void of regulation and so it was so. Consequently, I mean, you could start. I was. I was actually. I've been to China several times, and um, you know, I was chatting with someone on my visit there a couple of months ago. That they said, yeah, you know, you you can start. Um, it was a thousand B, which is the equivalent of about um, uh, I think that's so sixteen dollars. One hundred and sixty dollars, shall, shall we say, one hundred and sixty dollars, uh, roughly. Will get you started and get you a, a lending platform established in China. You've got to register. Um, you, everything's done on a phone, on a smartphone. So you need an app, and you've got to register your app that costs like ten dollars, and you've got to build the app, and that costs like one hundred and fifty dollars. So that's um, that's kind of how easy it has been to get started. And the fact there isn't a, um, a a strong regulatory environment, it's it's meant that people could like there were the big the big um, the big fraud that was done it was actually the second largest Ponzi scheme of all time after the Madoff uh, Ponzi scheme. So it was you know the seven point six billion US dollars um, were lost to investors with uh, with one of the top ten largest platforms. Which you know people who were following industry really closely were had had suspicions, but you know there's plenty of. Um, people who they who they you know that they, they fooled into thinking that this was a legitimate business, but ninety five percent of the borrowers on on this platform called Izu Izubow, um, were fictitious. So the these you know and the and the um, founders just pocketed the money, and you know the, the, the average investor in China we need to point out is is less sophisticated than the average investor in uh, in other countries, and uh, because, simply because this generation of Chinese are really the first generation to have disposable income to invest. So where you know and and it just isn't sort of the whole um, industry of financial advice that's really well established in in, in the West that isn't there in China so you know that that the concern is that the you know the, the, i think that the government like governments in, mo, in a lot of places they tend to overreact whenever there's something like that you know Bernie Madoff sort of um had, you know c- caused a whole scheme of uh, uh of uh, regulations um along with the financial crisis in general but um so that we there are regulations on the table um some of them uh, the industry supports wholeheartedly. Some are a little more um, onerous, and I think we're probably going to find that the Chinese will come down with a set of regulations that will probably err on the side of being a little um, too strict than not strict enough, because they they don't want to see those kinds of um, that that kind of fraud happening on a regular
0: basis. It's an, if I if I had time or if I were willing to make the time, I would love to study that market. That would be just a fascinating academic, you know, uh, political science and 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 international business study to make. Uh, that, that that just <laughs> intrigues be, me to no end. <laughs> uh, I didn't I, I didn't intend to go into that, but that that intrigues me to no end. So here's what I would like to to, to do to get back to more of a mainstream peer to peer topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want this show to be a primer, but I also do want to lay out the the subject, and and I want you to use me. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be me, not not just Joshua Sheets the person, not Joshua Sheets the podcast host. And I simply say this: I've never invested in uh, a peer to peer platform, nor have I ever, nor have I ever borrowed money from a peer to peer platform. But I'm probably a fairly Good candidate. I have investable assets for various personal reasons. I have withdrawn uh, from participating in – at the moment, I've withdrawn from participating in the publicly traded securities markets. So I am investing privately and actively seeking new investment opportunities and peer-to-peer could – possibly fit my own personal investment profile. So to begin with, I'd like you to make the case to me that I should take some cash out of a savings account and start investing uh, investing in peer-to-peer. How would you make that case to me?
1: Sure. So um, firstly – I, the, the, there's there's several kind of sub-markets of the peer-to-peer uh, sector we've got, and and it's called marketplace lending now. In in, in people, that it's not because it's not really driven now by individual lending individuals, although that was the beginning. So there is there is consumer loans, there are small business loans, and there is real estate. And um, I'm going to start with consumer loans. That's that's by far the largest and the most established segment. And uh, there are two main players: Lending Club and Prosper. So you might think, well, and these are unsecured consumer loan. So you are basically going to loan money to people, and, and their only incentive to pay you back, other than doing the right thing, is that you know their credit. This would, this, these are, um, yeah, you know, the credit score will be damaged if they don't. You know, these are loans. These companies all report to the major credit bureaus. So if you don't pay back this loan, then you're, then you will find uh, your credit will be uh, tarnished dramatically. So, so. But let's just let's just look at consumer credit. Um, if you go back over the last thirty, forty years, consumer credit has been a fantastic asset class. It just has never been available to individual investors. It's been available to large institutional investors and 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 banks. I mean, credit cards um, are her- tremendously profitable for um, you know for for the banks, and they and because people, even when they're um, even even in recession people still use their credit credit cards people still pay back their credit card and you'll see that there's you know if you go back and there's there's data from the federal reserve and people look at delinquencies and 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 actual charge offs and you know charge offs um in a recession tend to obviously go up they uh you know it varies but you know you're talking about two to three times typically uh the charge offs um for credit cards and that's that's you know three times being the financial crisis which is obviously not a typical uh a typical recession so so my point is that consumer credit is an established asset class it's got a long track record it has a very it's uh, it's also non correlated for the most part it's it's correlated. Most heavily with the unemployment rate. So, if the unemployment rate goes up, defaults go up. So, um, it's not com- so it's not a completely uncorrelated uh, asset class because obviously unemployment goes up. Probably the stock market's going down and other things are going down as well. But um, my point is that you can get today, um, you know, seven or eight percent um, um, relatively easily um, and. You know, and obviously you don't earn seven or eight percent without risk. These are unsecured loans, but my my personal feeling and is that you are as an investor in uh, in lending club or Prosper loans, you are being overly compensated for the risk that you are taking. That's that is my personal feeling uh, because there has been um, you know, and these, these keep in mind both these companies started before the financial crisis, so they were very small. Um, when you know when two thousand and eight, um, two thousand and nine happened, uh, they but they have they have a, a track record that takes them through that, and you can actually look and see how their how their loans performed, and um and and, and what the 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 point is also to make is that you know these companies have since improved their their credit models um, many times since then so. Even if you repeated exactly what happened in two thousand and eight, and and Lending Club had a positive um, in, throughout the financial crisis. Lending Club provided a positive return to investors. Prosper provided a negative return, um, mainly because they they were much looser in their in their underwriting. They went down to five hundred and twenty FICO. Um, now that that six forty FICO. So you um, you know if you take out those those lower. Uh, those higher risk loans, lower FICO score loans, you know, Prosper did very well during the um, financial crisis as well. So, so you're talking about you know seven to eight percent return and uh, relatively uncorrelated. And you know, you're if if defaults, you know, if if um, if we get another financial crisis. You know most people have people have modeled this out, and you' they're, they're looking you know maybe a two to four percent return would be expected in another in, in another two thousand eight two thousand nine so tell me another asset class that can deliver positive returns during um, a, a, during a major recession and uh, you know that's that's why I am so bullish and i can you know I continue to put new money to work uh, in in this asset class
0: It's an interesting case um so I mean frankly he- here's the fear that I have uh, mm-hmm. it, it all feels very much like a Ponzi scheme in mm-hmm. this way i'm not accusing there of being a, a regulated orderly um, i'm not i 'm not accusing there of being a conspiracy that that five individuals have gotten together and said let 's perpetrate this scheme rather I, I love the concept, and I want to see this grow and grow because um, one of the major trends for liberty and freedom is that individuals having the ability to access other individuals so I love the concept. my biggest concern is constantly that people who are involved in in promoting uh, marketplace lending are always leading with returns and they're always talking about, hey, here are my returns, here are my returns. And it feels like – now, part of that is usually due to the fact that people want to know the returns. That's the that's the number one question that I'm going to ask is is a return. Yep. So, I mean, people are leading with returns because that's the number one question they're being asked. Yep. You know, I like to ask, okay, what, what are the returns? But also, usually – What's happening is that the person, whether it's your site or whether it's a, someone who's writing a review on their blog, they're leading with an affiliate link to Lending Club or Prosper. And so mm-hmm. this is one of the most profitable ways to um, – this is one of the most profitable ways uh, you know, to, to, to monetize your blog. Let me write an article on my Lending Club or my Prosper returns and then let me post my, my affiliate link to Lending Club or Prosper. And that way after you see my returns, you'll go ahead and buy it. Now, yep. I am not – I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't argue against that business model. I think it's totally fine for companies to have commissions. I think it's great for entrepreneurs to to do this. So I'm not unha- unhappy with either the business model of returns. I'm not not unhappy with people writing a blog. I love that your blog and many thousands and thousands of others can do this. But it all very much feels like a gold rush and everyone kind of rushing in and, and maybe I'm just too conservative, conservative of a person. But when something is as popular as this is where everyone's sending money over and in your site you talk about the risks and you go much deeper, it just gives me a bad feeling. And, and I don't know whether I'm being irrational and simply responding emotionally or whether I'm actually sensing something that should be giving me pause. Um, how do you respond?
1: Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's fair. I, I mean, it's good to have a, a skeptical, um, approach and, you know, so anything new like this. And I, I mean, I was, I was in your shoes, you know, eight years ago when I first kind of started coming and came across this. Um, and yeah. So I think, um, a couple of things. So firstly, that yes, there are plenty of people writing about their returns. I, you know, I, I mean, I, read every single one of these reviews that uh, that comes out. And most of the time, they're just regurgitating others and there's nothing really new. And, and, you know, I also get annoyed when people say, look at my returns, they're 15%. This is fantastic. And, you know, 15% is easy when you haven't had the impact. If you've got a six-month-old account... And you've you've had you know one or two defaults or zero defaults, and you know you've invested in loans that that are fifteen percent, so you um you know your, your your returns are can can be artificially high, and it's one of the things I I talk about quite a bit. So I always look out for that. Um, but I think yeah, you know, as far as the popularity of of the space, it is you know le, like Lending Club went public about uh, eighteen months ago, and they you know they've they've been a uh, you know they, so they've been basically operating with you know, with all the transparency that's necessary to for to operate a public company with and so pe- people have a really good idea on not just um the not just on the, the investment concept, but the actual businesses themselves and how they make money and how, and, and whether this is really a sustainable, sustainable business. And that's a whole nother, like the valuations is a whole nother uh, story that we, you know, we can get into if you like. But, but my, um, my, my point is that, you know, a Ponzi scheme is something that is, you, you take money in and you pay money out with, you pay people who want to exit out with the money that you take in. And that, there's just simply um, nothing like that happening. And you, I mean, you can go through every single loan at Lending Club is an official security registered with the SEC. You can go and audit this stuff um, for yourself. Lending Club provide and Prosper provide their um, their entire loan book to investors to to basically analyze. And uh, it's... it's I mean, the, one of the reasons they do that is because they know people are skeptical, and they want they want people to be comfortable. And there and you know there are there are there are not just people like you. There are also hedge funds. There's pension funds. There's you know there's investors who want to put five hundred million dollars to work, and you think that they're going to do some pretty serious due diligence before before they do that. And I go back to the the point that I think. Um, this this industry is still being mispriced um, um, for the risk that you are taking, and I think, you know that that is something that, you know, I mean interest rates have been coming down. Like when I first started getting into it, I didn't say seven or eight percent returns. I said ten to twelve percent returns because that was what was um, on offer. And um, yeah, you even know, fact you, you, when when I first joined Lending Club advertised on their site, their average return was ten. I still remember it was ten point six eight percent was the average investor return at Lending Club. Since then, in, um, interest rates have come down dramatically on the platforms, simply because back in the early days they needed investors right much right. more much more than they needed borrowers. They had to have. High returns now. They don't need investors as much, so they are. You know, the, the platforms for the most part have dropped their interest rates over the last several years, and so what used to be a, a ten or twelve percent return is now a seven or eight percent return. But it's still, I, I you know, as, as I've said many times now already, that it's still. I think a return that is more than compensating you for the risk you're taking.
0: Sure. And I want to clarify um, for your sake and also for the audience. I do not accuse this of being a Ponzi scheme. It's not. I can't find (laughs) no evidence of it. Simply saying that when everybody jumps on something, I have this visceral reaction. When something becomes popular, I want out. Um, Now, is that good, bad? Who knows? That's just a personal character trait. Everyone starts driving this type of car. I don't want it. Uh, And so – Obviously, and, that can be a, a bad character trait, but <laughs> ha- having watched the 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 lending – having watched this marketplace lending grow, uh, I've just watched it and just said, well, everyone else is going to put a link on their website to Prosper and Lending Club, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and,
1: well, I'll tell you what. If you, you go out outside of the financial blogger community um, who all obviously know this industry quite well now, um, you go to um, – you know, poll uh, 100 of your friends who's heard of Lending Club, who's heard of peer to peer Lending, and I think you'll find less than 5% of people will have heard of it. It's still, I mean, it, it's it's not mainstream by any stretch of the imagination and it is, well, well in the financial blogger community it's popular in the general population, it is not popular. In fact, it is it is basically um, being ignored still by the general population. And so I – and this was one of my missions and I hope to see this through. Eventually, I think it will not be ignored. But um, it's it's still – as far as individual investors go, lending clubs say they have 100,000 individual investors. I mean how many individual investors – does Vanguard have, or does Schwab have, or Fidelity? I mean, you're still talking around. Uh, you're still talking a very small part of the whole kind of investing equation, and it's represented by this industry.
0: Yeah, you, you are right, uh, and I and I fully acknowledge and concede uh, you have a stronger argument on this point. Uh, the market penetration is tiny. Uh, fully, fully acknowledge. I want to go back to the categories you said though. Um, The three categories, I'm most interested not in consumer lending uh, because that's the most popular. I'm most interested in category two, business lending, small business lending, and category three, real estate lending. What Mm -hmm. is happening in those categories with regard to marketplace lending at the moment?
1: Sure. So um, small business lending is um, I think – it's actually my favorite category um, personally because I really like supporting small business. I feel like small businesses have been hard done by. Um, since the financial crisis and even really before the financial crisis in many ways with, um, you know, banks don't want to lend um, and, you know, you have to be a really, really established business with Tremendous amount of track record um, to even consider an SBA loan from, and which this is basically what banks are offering for the most part is a loan backed by the SBA, um, and, and unless you, if you don't qualify for that, then you you know you have you have you go to the alternative lenders, and um, this is some it, it's basically. Filling a massive void, and that's why I really like it. Now, for the most part, you have to be an accredited investor um, uh, to to participate. Um, it's uh, it's one of the things that the uh, the SEC has kind of decided that, that lending club and prosper you don't need to be an accredited investor. Um, there are investor requirements, but they're they're much less onerous than than being an accredited investor. Um, there is one small business lending platform that allows you to be um, non-accredited uh, called Street Shares um, StreetShares.com uh, they're, they're a relatively new platform um, I like those guys a lot and um, they have yeah, you know, they've basically built uh, uh, a way for everyday investors to to help to, to basically lend money to small businesses. They're started by a uh, military veteran, so they've got a very strong military focus. A lot of their loans are to veteran-owned businesses. Um, but they they're they're one example. If if you want, if you're a non-accredited investor and listening to this, that's pretty much the only game in town in small business lending. Um, there there, eventually there'll be more, but um, you know, the SEC is pretty. They don't consider this asset class to be something that should be open to everybody yet. Now that the, the Jobs Act has sort of helped uh, helped um, bring about some changes here, but um, we're still a long way away from having everybody be able to invest. Uh, real estate again, there is there's um, there's a couple of options for non-accredited investors. Um, Give us r- the
0: options, please, for uh, for real estate. Give us the options for those who are accredited investors. Oh,
1: well, acc- so acc- accredited investors. Um, you know, they have, well, as far as, you know, there's, um, I write about it on my blog, like there's a, there's a, there's a small business loan, a small business lending fund that I invest in, which is for accredited investors, um, called direct, direct lending investments. Um, you, you Google that and you um, you'll, you'll find, you'll find them. And I've, I've, I've written about them. I personally have invested, uh, in them again, that they have pretty high minimums. Um, there are, As far as other small business platforms, most of them are really not interested in the individual at all. If small business, small business platforms, um, there's there's, uh, like there's another one that I've invested in personally, P2Bi. Uh, it's the letter P, the number two B I dot com. It's P two B Investor. They do invoice factoring of and lines of credit for small business. They're available to accredited investors as well, uh, individual investors, and they have and I've invested there. Um, there's. They're the really the main options you've got. Um, others you know, that have you know, funding circle. Um, again, you can funding circle is probably the leading small business platform that has a marketplace. Again, they're they're accredited investor only, um, and um, you they they probably have more. Uh, they're more established. They do what they've done over. They're a global company. They've started in the UK, um, and they they're ones that. Uh, Accredited investors can. There's more more loan volume probably on on Funding Circle than the other platforms that I've mentioned, and they are, they're able to. Um, you can be diversified relatively easy, easily on those. Uh, most of the others, um, you know, really are focused on institutional investors. Uh, real estate's a little different. Uh, real estate. There is a lot of companies out there focusing on individual investors because real estate's something that. There's a lot of people comfortable with. I mean, there's millions of real estate—millions, well, anyway. There's a lot of real estate investors in this country um, who are who have, you know, bought real estate um, either by themselves or uh, they might have bought it in a REIT or something. But they're very comfortable with uh, with real estate, and it's something that you know it's it's easy to understand. You can explain real estate investing to a six-year-old, and they'll get it. Um, you know that. So, real estate. There's you know, there's I would say there's you know there's dozens of platforms. I I, I sort of I just did a, a on, on Lend Academy. We did a a rundown of, the, of what we consider to be the top the top five platforms uh, in the space today. Uh, Lending Home, which is just getting started, they've they've really focused on individual investors. Uh, on institutional, they're now just getting started with individual investors. You know, there's Realty Shares, there's Share States, um, there's um, Patch of Land, and um, there's another one that um, um, that I am for, that I am not thinking about right now. Patch of land, anyway. And then there's, there's Pier Street. There's um, another one that um, that I've actually I'm just uh, starting an investment in myself personally. Um, so there, and there's there, there's several others as well. Uh, realty mogul. That's 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 the other one that uh, is also a uh, very well established player. These all. Um, you know you offer you know, a lot of them have like $5000 minimums um 5000 minim, usually minimum per deal so if you want to be diversified you you need to put in a bit more than that but it's a great way to invest in the fix and flip market if you don't really want to do a fix and flip because a lot of these platforms started in in that way. Others have moved into you know office buildings, shopping malls, multi uh, multi family residential. There's all kinds of different ways you can build a complete diversified real estate portfolio today through these online platforms.
0: Wow, fascinating! I it's I'm ignorant of uh, the offerings here, so I've got a lot of homework <laughs> to do in this space. Because uh, it definitely interests me. Are you seeing anybody take this concept to a localized level?
1: Yeah, particularly in the small business in the small business space, there there are um, uh, some, and even in this real estate space, I mean, there these real estate platforms often have a couple of different geographies where they focus. But um, in the small business space, it's it's I think. It's hard um, to get track because it's, it's, these are still pretty new. I mean, online lending in the small business space is actually entrepreneurs now are um, have a lot more awareness than the average consumer does, than even the average real estate investor does, I think, in, um, because the, these there's a lot of well-established players, a company like OnDeck which is now a public company as well, been around since 2007. And, um, you know, they do typically short-term short term duration loans. They're, they're now expanding into some of the longer-term um, loans. They've just signed a deal with Chase. So if you're a Chase small business customer, um, they just launched it literally um, this month, where if you're a Chase small business com- uh, customer, you can now go and obtain credit, which is powered by OnDeck. OnDeck does the underwriting on deck services loans on deck provides the technology to chase to really drive the whole process. so so from a borrower's perspective um, the small business loan lending is becoming more and more accepted and uh, there's the, these platforms are all growing very fast as you know as I said there's a void in small business lending that is that is being filled and being filled rather quickly by by these small business platforms.
0: Tell me about the profitability of the companies involved, starting with Lending Club and Prosper and then other companies who have been jumping in. Are they profitable?
1: Um, sure. Well, Lending Club is profitable. It's um, it's not – it hasn't been focused on bottom line profits. It actually turned to profit, quarterly profits for the first time several years ago, um, but – They uh, they have been trying to grow dramatically. Uh, An important metric that people look at is sort of their sales and marketing costs, and they have been going down per dollar loaned, um, you know, fairly consistently um, over the last several quarters. You go back, and Lending Club have all their have their earnings calls um, on their website, which you can go and listen to, and all these uh, equity analysts can uh, they 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 will ask all kinds of questions about uh, about the finances of. Lending clubs specifically on deck as well because they're a public company have the same thing. On deck is uh, is not profitable. Um, I think both these companies could be if they. Uh, well, Lending club is profitable slightly. It's not. It, ha- it hasn't created a massive profit. But if they didn't want to grow so fast, and these companies are growing, you know, between you know 100 percent a year even. Um, and so if they didn't need. To, if they didn't didn't want to grow that fast. They. Would all be turning a profit? Uh, they, they, but they're what they're trying to do. You know, they're, they're hiring people before they need them. They've got, you know, um, a lot of. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, um, infrastructure that they they kind of build before, so they can keep scaling, sort of thing. If they if they were just happy where they were, they could stop sort of investing in a lot of the the future infrastructure, whether it be engineers or or hardware, and uh, and they would be able to be a lot more profitable. But in general, that's this is one of the the, the knocks on the space, and one of the, you know, the valuations have been, um, you know, like. Lending club iPO at fifteen dollars was run up to twenty nine dollars and now trades around eight dollars and uh, so people have said that you know the, the 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 markets seem to think that the profitability of these companies is not um, as going to be as great uh, as probably some of the people who dived in early thought. Um, I person. I. I. I should full disclosure. I am a. I am a. An equity investor in both On Deck and Lending Club. I'm also. You know. I'm, I'm very bullish on the space. This is my career. So I'm. Uh, you know. Everything. I, I. I'm not. Um. You know. I'm certainly not impartial with anything that I say in this. In this interview. But um, I, I feel like you know. I've. I also understand the space well. I think you know the, my 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 feeling is why i'm so bullish is that i think more and more lending is going to be done in, in inside a marketplace um type format it's a more efficient way you know lending club have a famous slide they produce and look at banks and the cost of the cost of lending to banks and the um, and the, and their cost of lending and it's using you know, it's like half what a bank has to pay and then another another thing I just want to say that was fascinating to me when I first saw this one there was a, an analyst in the UK that um, brought this to my attention um, who is um, he's been following the space longer than anybody and he he showed me this graph of the um, efficiency gains um, basically per hundred thousand dollars loaned in the financial industry and you look you go a hundred years back and the cost to get that $100,000 to a, um, a borrower. And it's basically flat over 100 years. So there's been virtually zero efficiency gains in financial services when it comes to lending over 100 years. I mean, I don't know if there's any other... Um, industry that that has had zero productivity gains in uh, over the last hundred years i mean it was that was staggering to me, and that was really the thing that I think convinced me more than ever that this this is inevitable. The way forward is this online marketplace that is a, just a more efficient way of taking money from you know from an investor to a borrower and uh, you know banks have had this have had it for a long a long time um, and now I think marketplaces are going to be the way of the future
0: frankly whether you know it or not peter you're 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 pushing my sales buttons that <laughs> i would be i i would so desperately love to see the banking cartels in the united states of america driven to their knees that if for nothing else uh, i may start investing just to promote it uh because it's it's this is it, it's just a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful change and it's a wonderful growth factor the biggest concern i would have as an investor in some of these companies is Simply, the same technology that is disruptive is more easily disrupted. And mm-hmm. that's, yeah. I think, the fundamental economic problem that so many of us are grappling with to say, okay, we can break apart 100-year-old industries with disruptions, but then how does a company build a moat around itself in this newly disrupted space where they're not so that they don't face the same thing and and I mean the only solution I know is for them to continue to be a leader and to continue innovating uh, and to continue adjusting it but what what can happen is you know if Chase Chase Bank, Chase Bank brings their pocketbooks into one of these things into on deck if that's the the case study then now all of a sudden it'll buy they'll just buy out they'll buy it out uh, and it's, it, a possibility. it's a fascinating it's a fascinating uh, world to me but at the but at the end of the day i love seeing openness come i love seeing the investors win i love seeing uh, some of these changes happen
1: yeah and it's, it's, it's a very good point and i think this is one of the things that um, the other other things that equity analysts are saying that you know lending club it's just it doesn't have a, a strong enough defense a, a strong defensible position against new innovators that are that, that are yet to even get started um, and in, in their answer I mean the answer that the CEO gives to this is you know that they the, the, one of their largest assets is their track record they 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 have um, a track and what I'm saying track record the actual investor returns on the loans that they have underwritten. And you can go back, and you can p- take their their loan book of the one point two million loans that they have uh, they have um, done, and you can see how they've performed, and you can even look at um you know look at how the how what the trend is of that performance has been. So that's that's a big that's a big. Um, a big asset that is impossible to duplicate with a startup, and um, you, you know, so you've got that. You've also got, as you say, they've got to innovate, and um, they've got a brand. Lending Club is really very brand focused, brand conscious. I mean, if you were at LendIt last week, you would have seen, you know, fifty or more people work wearing these red vests, which is Lending Club red, and um, they're very. They could spot them all around the conference, and you knew that's a Lending Club person. Their you know, their booth was very well branded, and they, they. Um, are, I think doing doing a lot of good things um, when it comes to their brand and I think that's that's something that they're investing in that is also going to provide a little bit of a moat but to your point if um if someone comes along and does it better and cheaper and and, and has a you know has a better mousetrap then you know there's no we're, we're basically talking about dollars this is a, a dollar is a dollar it doesn't matter where you get it from as a borrower you just want to get the you know, you want you want the cheapest money, with combined with a good user experience. A lot of people aren't aren't willing to put up with a bad user experience in order to get cheap money. But if you get a you know that that combination, um, and good user experience obviously means you know ease of getting a loan and speed and that sort of thing. But um, someone can do it quicker and better and cheaper then they will win. And I I, I personally think that the future of this industry is such that you know the, the largest company in 10 years time may well not be have, may may well not have started yet that's 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 that you got we got to be open to that possibility that the, the, the there's someone going to come along and just do it better but i you know i think that the innovation that's happening i mean lending has had such little innovation I mean, the innovations that lending has had is, are securitizations and then, you know, look what and, – and, and, and pooling investments and then making them so opaque that no one really knows what's in them and then have it all fall apart. That's what we've had for lending innovation in this country. It's been on the opposite end. You know, we've had no, you know, no doc loans in the mid-2000s that, you know, that, that, that was – people thought was lending innovation but turned out to be a really bad idea. And so now what we're getting, I think, is true sustainable lending innovation. The, the, the companies that were at last week are really doing things that have never been done before that are really moving this industry forward. And uh, I think I mean, I'm, I'm personally very excited about it and I think we're seeing things, I mean, borrowing money, is going to be so different in five years' time that even than it is today, and today it was very different than it was five years ago, and I, I think the, the the rap the pace of change is rapid, and uh, I think that this is going to be a great thing. It's like it's like someone said. I think it was I think it was Peter Thiel, who was a keynote speaker at our conference, said the famous entrepreneur and investor um, said that you know Uber didn't disrupt taxis, Uber expanded the market dramatically, whereas if you Ordinarily, like I'm, a, I'm a perfect example of this. You know, I w- was in San Francisco and thought, oh, let's go up and let's go and, and see, go to this park. Um, I didn't have a car, got an Uber down to this park and wandered around. I wouldn't, I just wouldn't have gone to that park if I didn't, ha- if Uber didn't exist. I would have just said, I'll just, you know, I'll just wander around San Francisco and do something else. But the fact that I knew in five minutes I get a car to take me directly to this park. And it was going to cost me ten dollars. That's something that I, I'm doing. I, I'm willing to do. So, what Uber has done is dramatically expanded the market um, for um, for, tax, for 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 transportation. And what what um, this, what, what marketplace lending can do, is dramatically expand the market for credit. So those small business owners that say I don't have time to access credit, um, I, don't, I, I really can't be bothered, um, or you know the person who wants to go and buy buy another house, who says I you know I really I, I, I can't really access credit because I, I my, my credit score isn't quite good enough. Those are sort of um, those are the sort of things that this this industry is really going to innovate on, and it's going to s- expand the pie dramatically.
0: Yeah, it's uh, – I share your enthusiasm. <laughs> it <laughs> makes me I – make, I, I was sitting here listening to you talk saying, wow, this would be such a fun industry to be involved in. Maybe I'll go work with Peter and be involved. There will be – there's always going to be a cultural lag between the technology capability and the cultural comfort of, of the people involved. And I'll use two examples to illustrate it, both personal to me one is simply that i have never had uh, a long-term relationship with uh, a personal banker i'm 30 years old and i've never had a, a long-term relationship with a with a with a bank that has a physical presence since the time i was about 15 years old i've always had my banking accounts with usaa which is based out in texas and before even the ability of doing smartphone apps i would always just mail my checks out to texas and then they would just pay a fee for using other banks infrastructures they don't have any physical locations so the only two times i've ever engaged in a local business banking relationship have been miserable and uh so culturally i'm 30 i'm an active adult engaged in um uh, you know the going into the peak uh, engagement of my uh business dealings and I've never dealt with somebody locally. So for me the thought process of going to see a banker it's like I don't even want to do it because even the the, the experiences I've had with the two banking institutions that I've worked with locally have been were miserable experiences and I know I can get better. That is partly an age thing, but as older members of the workforce who, you know, start to move out and and more and more people like me enter into the you know, our 30s, 40s people who've never participated that changes that that cultural change impacts dramatically and mm-hmm. then so that's going to be a big factor in this uh, yep. in this space and then the second thing is even those who don't have the the culture uh that I have and I'm sharing these just to encourage the audience to pay attention to their own experiences and notice the 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 parallels. So even even people who don't have the same cultural experience that I have of being younger, a little bit more comfortable having being accustomed to um mobile technology etc. I see it happening at every age. In my social group here in my church group which is a diverse age I can go back a few a few years and I can point and see okay there were the few early adopters that had smartphones but today there's not a single person who doesn't have a smartphone of any age now whether or not they know how to use them or not that depends but a few years of having it leads to a, a leads to people being more accustomed to it so two years from now I mean we're in an exponential We're in a period of exponential change where two years from now, all those people who have become comfortable with the basic functionality of having a smartphone for the last two years, now they'll go from having one app to having 100 apps. Uh, And that cultural change is happening faster than anybody um, can experience. So when you add these two factors on of an aging population and how fast, exponentially fast, the culture is changing across all age brackets, it leads to – it's going to lead to – you know, from a hundred thousand investors to many, many more, it's going to lead to. Um, yes, it'll it'll appear slow, but underneath the slow appearance, there's a massive general change happening in the population of where people are going to go for loans. So, yep. you're the <laughs> you. Hey, you're selling picks and shovels to miners, Peter, and you are well positioned for a third fortune. Hopefully. <laughs> well,
1: yes, let's let's hope. I, but but yeah, I I think what you pointed to are two of the major tailwinds of, of the industry. And I think I, I've talked about this a lot: the demographic shift. It's hard to overstate how how much this is going to impact banking. People like yourself who just don't have a relationship with a traditional bank, and even those those, those people your age who do have a relationship. Generally, don't have a positive one. So they, the, the, this is a, a massive, um, you know, it, it's a massive tailwind. The, these people are open to alternatives, and, and they want to be able to borrow borrow money from uh, an alternative lender. If if all the other things are equal, or they would they would choose that. For the, a lot of people, would um, and they're also, I mean. <laughs> Like, you go to, um, you can't take out a loan online at any of the major banks. Um, I mean, Chase are now doing it with their small business product because they're partnering with OnDeck, who's a company that knows how to do online lending. Um, But banks, large banks, for the most part, don't know how to do that. And it's and talk about a cultural shift i mean you know banks are not rewarded for for really innovating um in the you know the the no one's going to get fired for not starting up an online lending operation in their ba- in their bank and i think it's it, you know they've got they've got not just got the Legacy technology inside large banks, but there's the legacy um, employees who aren't real risk takers and aren't looking to try and embrace the next the next new the next new wave. So I think that's banks have really, um, you know, going to. The, the, I mean, I think the chase. Jamie Dimon, to his credit, I think the CEO of Chase has recognised this before some of his counterparts, and he's you know, and it's, you know, he started this partnership with OnDeck. It's quite possible that OnDeck will be bought by Chase. In fact, someone said that at the conference that they they expect that'll happen by the end of this year. But, You know, that's that's total conjecture, and I've got we've got you know, obviously no no information on that. But if it goes well for Chase um it's hard to imagine you know chase not not um jumping on board and and really having a much deeper relationship with on deck uh and, and that's the sort of thing that banks may Go and and enter this space through that, and hopefully, what when, when and if they do that, they will leave their, the culture in place at the at the online lending platform, so they can keep innovating and keep uh, and really keep pushing the pushing the uh, the ball forward. So I think that's thing. The, the other the other um, real massive tailwind is all of the baby boomers entering their retirement years, they need yield on on, on their investments. Fixed income is, you know, it, it's it's still terrible for, um, you know, and who wants to invest in bonds when we know that, you know, the next way, right, rates are only going to go up. You know, we thought they'd have gone up further by now, but, you know, we had the, the San Francisco Fed president talk at Lendit last week and he expects two to three interest rate increases this year still. So, you know, interest rates are potentially going up in the in the short and near term, and um, you know. The, so the, this is fixed income is a real issue for retirees, and this asset class provides that. And the the one thing that the, the knock on this industry where we haven't done well enough yet is providing investment vehicles. That are easy for people to use. There is no mutual fund yet for uh, for this industry. It's it's should be it should be happening this year. It was supposed to happen last year, but uh, the SEC being, um, you know, they're they're certainly providing uh, some challenges to getting that getting those off the ground. Um, And you know, until you can check a box on your four hundred one k that says invest in marketplace lending um, in yeah you know, this industry is still going to be um for the the hobbyists and the early adopters we need we need investment vehicles that can just, you can just go and do go in so easily and just um and just invest in the asset class that right now if you want to go and invest in lending club you know we have you know I can give a plug to my sister company NSR invest which will is basically a registered a registered investment advisor totally focused on this space that takes people through this process painlessly, but you know, with, you know NSR investors, no Schwab or Fidelity, and um, at least not yet. But that's until we get a Schwab or Fidelity coming on board, and with the with the mutual fund, this industry is is not going to be mainstream because those retirees, you know, they're you know, you're skeptical. You're you're 30 years old. Someone who's 65 years old is often much more skeptical, and. And, and if they see something from a Schwab or Fidelity, they they might trust that. So I feel those are the things that really need to happen to really get the industry going mainstream.
0: You stole the next question <laughs> that was going to be out of my mouth was what's going to where are we at in this process? And you kind of answered it. So let me give you. This is just us sitting down, you know, over a cold drink. Uh, this type of discussion, not giving advice yep. to people, but I just I, I just kind of watching it how I see industries work. So here's here's how it seems to me. As I understand it, in the workings of markets, the market rewards efficiency and one of the biggest things that can happen is simply that in time markets be, well, <laughs> markets become efficient so so let's look at the world of 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 just mainstream stocks uh mainstream large u s um, stock market uh u, u, large u s equities um in this marketplace, it used to be you had a very inefficient market. You know, historically, you had the stock market was people coming down to what was that square in in um, in New England and sit down and 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 trading <laughs> shares of their of their paper. It wasn't open to many people. It wasn't. Uh, it was a very thin market, and so you could buy and sh- sell shares of uh, of a company. Well, the market develops. It grows over time. People start to. Uh, People start to be participating in it. You go back historically, there was a time at which it was very, very rare for any U.S. American to be involved in the stock market. Those who were involved in the stock market, they were involved in owning individual – individual stocks they would read the stock section they had their companies that they liked and they would just sit back and collect the dividends coca-cola whatever you know general motor whatever it doesn't matter then you had kind of the commoditization of stock market because there was an opportunity for uh for uh, uh people to earn money based upon selling stocks. Then you had the development of the mutual fund industry. The mutual fund industry led to the marketplace being heavily scrutinized, which let, took the marketplace from a place of relative inefficiency to a place of relative efficiency. And so today, uh, you, you can still invest, but basically all of the academic research would say that the vast majority of people should simply purchase some sort of passive investment investment uh, Fund or passive investment vehicle, uh, simply given that the, the the efficiency has been driven out, dri- the the market has become very efficient. Are there still pockets of inefficiency? Sure, there probably are. Not at not open to the to the normal person. We expect the capital market to. to to work well. It prices companies appropriately, etc. But along the way, the returns have been driven down. And so you first had people used to be able to make a lot of money by investing in stocks. Uh, Now you – then the big people that made a lot of money were those who sold investments in stocks, the financial companies. Well, now it feels to me sometimes like we're almost going into another phase where you just have this market that's there and it's somewhat dependable but no one's going to get all that rich. It's hard to imagine um, somebody being being able to build uh, another huge company that's going to bring huge innovation to it because there's so much money and so much innovation there. And so now you have people leaving and going in search of new markets. So now, is that technically accurate? Uh, Probably not. I'm not ready to present that as a carefully researched paper. It's just kind of the way that it looks in my mind. And most analysts in the mainstream U.S.-based stock market are predicting – Lower returns in the future. And so portfolio managers, that's why there's been a, a look to other markets, emerging markets, which are probably less efficient, can find more deals. Or that's also why there's been a, so much more focus on small cap and micro cap investing, More less efficient markets, po- possibility for higher returns. So it feels like we're going to go through the same type of thing, though, with regard to -to peer-to-peer. You have – and I don't know where we are in this stage, probably very early, but it almost feels to me like we're going to go through exactly the same thing just like most markets do, where there's uh, a disruptive innovation that attracts a lot of attention. Now you've got hundreds and thousands of companies coming here. Uh, It's going to disrupt the market. There are returns, but returns have been driving – been dropping as the risk has reduced. The returns for investors has been dropping. It's going to go next to the mainstream uh, appeal. So frankly, Peter, after listening to this conversation, I'm not thinking how can I open an account with Lending Club or Prosper. I'm thinking how can I invest in a small – up and I need to do my research and figure out how to invest in a small up-and-coming platform so that I can be an owner of the platform because – i don 't know if this is accurate, but it feels to me like we 're at the stage now where I want to own the mutual fund company i don 't want to own the stocks within it. I want to own the mutual fund company and then over time it'll it, it, this market will become the standard next um, you know the standard thing where everyone buys and sells in this marketplace, and the big banks are competing there just with the little banks and just with the individuals and it 's a much more broad and open flatter market, which is the benefit of the connectivity of the internet. I'm curious. Um, th- that's just me, kind of off the cuff thinking it through as we've been talking. Do you think I'm right? Do you think I'm wrong? Uh, what would be your response to that illustration?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, a couple of things. So, I think that we are in the very early days of this of this industry. There's, I mean, people talk about what what inning we're in. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, I, I was having this discussion with uh, the president of Prosper the other night, um, who, uh, who, to, who who seemed who I argued we were still in like the second or third inning. He thought we we're in like the fourth or fifth. But uh, anyway, we're early relative to where where this industry is going to go, and it all depends what your what your goal is. If your goal is a, a stable return that can produce you know seven percent or even say six percent, you know, when inflation is below two. That's you know that that is a, a decent return that I think most retirees would uh, would would be very happy with. Um, but if you wanna if you wanna double your money in in the next three years, then yeah, this fixed income is just not for you unless you want to invest in like I said, like the equity of some of these of the companies. There are certainly going to be some major success stories. I mean, we had um, we had. You know the person who invested in Lending Club when they, you know, my, my, I have a friend who in who had the opportunity to invest in Lending Club at a seventy million dollar valuation. Right now, it's at three, roughly three billion dollar valuation. So that would have been a very nice return, and that was just uh, six years ago. So, you know, you, you're not getting ten x on your money. You're you know, you're getting close to fifty x um, that kind of thing. So those are the ways that you can you can you can have a good return now. I'm sure you'd be the first person to admit that that's a risky proposition to try and find buying equity in any startup is a very risky proposition um and I think there you know there there are certainly there are plenty of venture capitalists that fail to do this well so i think but but to your point this industry is just getting started. The ecosystem hasn't been built yet. Like we've got the ecosystem for the stock market, which, you know, let's face it, you know, you know 20 years ago, 25 years ago anyway, we, you know, that was basically, you know, the large investment banks and the stock brokerage houses and, that, and everything was done with, uh, with, with, you know, through brokers and it cost hundreds of dollars to do trades uh, a lot of times. So um, that, the ecosystem has been built out uh, in the stock market. And now, you know, there's, it's, it's you know, the people that have, you know, you, you can now do trades for free or for very, very low cost. And, uh, and that, that is still that, that infrastructure is still to be built in this industry. And I think that's where that's a very interesting opportunity. Uh, because we, we know that um, there, you know, there are going to be ways for, you know, that, so for for, for example, like just Buying loans in an automated fashion is something that is you know you can build it yourself because these companies have APIs or you can just go with you know with like Orchard um, is 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 the sort of the market leader here and there they're the ones that are doing the picks and shovels for the industry as well insofar as on the investor side and they're also providing all kinds of benefits on the on the originator side as well now my sister company NSR Invest provides some of those same services as well. Um, and there are and there are others. Lending Robot um, provides it for individual investors. It's you don't have to worry about, you know, you don't have to worry about opening your account at, at, at Lending Club. You can go and open your account, um, you know, at, at Lending Robot. And um, you can also do it at NSR Invest, for that matter. And you can have someone else manage the investment for you. So I think. Um, the ecosystem will be built out, and there will be some massive opportunities here. But I think if you want a, a, a sort of a low volatility investment, which I imagine plenty of your or well, some of your listeners probably would, uh, would fit into that category, then investing in fixed income loans is, uh, I think, a, a great way forward. Hit it out of the park. You know, you can try and you can try your hand at equity investing, and you know you, there will be some massive winners, um, but
0: for sure. But uh, it's not easy. What an exciting time we live in. Peter, um, I hope and it sounds like uh, you're building uh, just an awesome uh, empire in this, this space. And, and I loved hearing the story uh, of, of kind of how you've gotten into this gradually. I'm curious though. You said that this was the third business. You had sold out of two previous businesses. Yep. What industries or what was the nature <laughs> of those businesses you were involved in previously?
1: So they were in label printing, which is about as different as you can get to finances, you know, as manufacturing basically. And, um, you know, it was, and that was a family business. My father started a, a, a label business before I was born and I actually um, – I'm from Australia. As you can probably tell, I'm don't, I don't have an American accent, but I, um, I, bought, I brought that business over um, 25 years ago from, uh, from Australia to the U.S. I was young. It was an exciting adventure. I thought I'd come over here for – for you know, two or three years, and get it set up, and then go back to Australia. But uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm still here, and I'm, an, I'm a dual citizen now. I've got a, I've got an American wife, and American kids, and uh, we do go back to Australia pretty regularly. But um, you know, my life is is in this country, and so you know, label printing. I ended up being um, my like that was so I built up that family business, and then sold it, and then started another business in in uh, what I thought was a, a new trend: digital label printing. I was the first all-digital label printer in the, in, in the US and, and also the first to uh, get on Google AdWords, which is how I built that business, uh, um, really focused purely on um, doing Google AdWords ads and um, yeah, built that business up and then sold that just before the financial crisis. And that was, um, that was really that was the big win for me that allowed me to have lots of choices and take a couple of years off and, and really have the flexibility to decide what I wanted to do next.
0: That was awesome. So, what does your business look like now? I mean, do you have a big team of people? Do you do a solopreneur thing from your computer? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, uh, there's three.
1: There's three um, divisions of, of the business now. There is um, there is Lendacademy.com or lendacademy media, which really is the is, is the website. Which, you know, um, I have one full time employee there, um, and you know, we I, I I produce a podcast just like you. We write articles. Um, we do a little bit of research, and that is driven by affiliate revenue. is the main the main driver for that. And then I have the, the conference business, which is by far the largest uh, business, which has um, I think like twenty four employees, I believe. Um, and that's you know that's something that's you know it started in two thousand and thirteen. It's growing very fast, um, and you know that's that's sort of that's a profitable business. And then we have the uh, Said so the investment management business NSR Invest, which has um, I'm I'm really I don't I don't take much of a role on that business anymore. Um, I have a business partner who does who really drives that, um, and there was five employees there. And that that is not a profitable business yet, uh, but those are sort of the three three divisions. Um, the, the 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 conference business. And I and I had no obviously no history in the conference business, and we've been learning as we go. But um, it's a really good business. It's something that fits me personally really well. I, I enjoy public speaking. I enjoy um, you know just networking with with people at conferences, and uh, and it's it's a real labor of love. In fact, every, all the all the businesses uh, I, I, I'm very passionate personally about this space. I really believe in its future, and I'm I enjoy I enjoy coming to work every day, and uh, and you know most of my time though is spent these days on the conference business do you work because you have to or do you work because you want to I work because I want to I love I love what I do um, I feel like it's um, you know I you know I, I took a couple of years off and I really wanted to make my next move into something that I truly enjoyed and this is whereas a label printing business was fun for a while it it's sort of you know there's a lot of like it was really my father's business my father's industry and it wasn't really for me this is something that I've done for myself and you know I intend
0: to be in this industry for the rest of my career you learned what it was like to have, and I'm, the reason I'm probing on these is simply because this is what radical personal finance is about. We talk a lot about some of the technical things, but frankly, I'm just going to send all my listeners who want in-depth content on peer, on marketplace lending. I'm going to send them to your show uh, because I can't, um, I can't, in the context of radical personal finance, possibly hope to provide the level of depth that you can provide with a niche podcast like that. But what we focus on is lifestyle design, is building a rich life, and 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 what that looks like. And I've. Heard heard that theme all through this uh this sh- this show I've, I've picked up on all those those breadcrumbs um and so uh, that's why I'm kind of just asking cuz it's very instructive and inspirational to my audience um when you took the time off uh you had the exp- the opportunity to experience uh, I guess what it would be like to to not have to to work a job not have to work a business um do you think you'll ever well wh- what were those years like for you <laughs> so um they
1: were. I mean, I had a young family. I like. I. I really. Um. I. I sold my business in 2008. I worked for another year. Um. In that business, and then really, I. I. I still consulted very, very small number of hours. Um. Per week, uh, just to sort of help the transition, um. But I. My time was my own, and I just. I enjoyed it. I. I knew that I wasn't retired. I knew that I wanted to do something else with my life. But knowing that I felt like here's, I, I had, you know, when I, when I really quit, I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And um, so it was great that I was able to hang out with those guys and just um, be, you know, we took extended vacations. Um, we, uh, you know, I, I was around like always around where, you know, I spent a lot of time with my kids and, uh I, but I, I, mean, I but again, I, I was, I was looking, I was reading, you know, I, I would read, uh, I mean, I read blogs, I read, uh, I listened to podcasts, so I was still engaged in, in the business world. I knew I wanted to do, so I wanted to do something online. And that was sort of my, first, you know, so I, I would, I would spend, you know, even when I wasn't working, I would probably spend five hours a week, just, just kind of going through and just keeping up to date with what was going on and, and thinking. And so I had, I mean, I had all kinds of crazy ideas about what I was going to do. And, you know, I actually pursued a a few, pursued some of them. And uh, this was the one that really, it grabbed my attention. It grabbed my heart and I loved it. And so, you know, I I say to my wife, you know, I've worked harder in the last 12 months than I've ever worked in my life. I never worked this hard in the label industry, um, but I'm doing it because I, I, I realize that this this is a, you know, I've got a window of opportunity to really build, uh, build a real beachhead in this industry, build a, a, a thriving company, and I want to do that. I love it. And, you know, I wouldn't say I love every minute of what I do, but I love the mission, and I love sort of the the uh, the majority of of what I do. So I, I choose now to work pretty hard. And now we just had our conference last week. I've been taking it easy for the last few days, um, and uh, yeah, because before a conference you work sixteen-hour days nonstop for like two weeks, and uh, and now once the conference is over, you can breathe and uh, and relax a little bit.
0: My final question: mm-hmm. Do
1: you think you'll ever retire? <laughs> I. You know, I don't think I'll ever fully retire because I, 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 this industry is is my passion, and I feel like I want to stay. I want to stay in this for the long term. I, I might only work ten hours a week at some point, um, but I I don't ever. Or I shouldn't say ever. I'm fifty years old, so I'm I am not quite at retirement age yet. But um, I have some of my friends who are. Who are counting down the days already? But um, I am not one of those people. I I intend to work as long as uh, as long as I can, as long as I'm still as long as I'm still having fun, and I'm certainly having the time of my life right now.
0: Peter, this has been fantastic. Please take a couple moments and promote and pitch um, your different <sighs> offerings, the different companies, the websites, uh, some of the resources that you have available at each of those websites, so my audience can follow fur- uh, follow up in their further in their relationship with you if they'd like.
1: Sure. So if you want to learn more about uh, P2P lending, marketplace lending, it's lendacademy.com is you know, so we do articles, we have a podcast, um, I have a white paper there, which I mean I need I'm actually about to update uh right now. But uh that's that's where you can learn. Um, the Lendit Conference, lendit.com. Uh, it's L E N D I T, and that is you know where you can find out about the events that we have. We have we have kind we all not just the actual in person events. We also do webinars throughout the year, and you can join our mailing list and, and find out about those things. And then finally, NSRInvest.com. If you if this in- interests you, but you'd rather get some expert advice from somebody to to really help you navigate uh, navigate the waters. NSR Invest is a registered investment advisor that will, you know, that basically manages um, people's accounts. You can also do a self-manage option um, you know, as well, where you can kind of you know you can operate your own accounts. Uh, and just use the execution tools and the, and the investing tools that are, that are available on that site. So that, uh, those are my three offerings.
0: Peter, thanks for coming on the show. Okay, thanks, Josh. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Personal Finance. If you're interested in building financial freedom for yourself and your family, please subscribe to the podcast with our free mobile app, So you don't miss a single episode. Just search the app store on your mobile device for Radical Personal Finance and download our free app, which also contains an archive of every past episode of the show. If you have received value and financial benefit from the content of today's show, please consider becoming a supporting patron. Radical Personal Finance is listener supported and it's your direct financial support which enables me to bring you this content. In addition to your voluntarily paying for the content you've just heard, as a supporting patron, you will receive a number of member-only benefits, including a private Facebook group, access to our weekly Q&A calls, and discounts on future products and services. Details can be found at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Again, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron.